Hi, I'm Dave Westberg, and you're listening to the Billboard Insider Podcast, where I interview industry leaders about trends impacting the U.S. out-of-home advertising business. This podcast is sponsored by Adomni. Adomni, list your digital billboard on Adomni and increase your revenue. Today's guests are Paul Wright and Carson Frost from SignValue.com. Paul is founder of SignValue and also the co-author of Billboard Appraisal, The Valuation of Off-Premise Advertising Signs. Paul has literally written the book on out-of-home valuations. Uh, Carson Frost is a sales consultant for SignValue. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. We're excited to be here. Glad to have you. Can you give me an overview of SignValue's history and the services it provides? Sure. I founded SignValue in 2001, about two decades ago, and we are a brokerage and valuation firm that specializes in out-of-home advertising assets. And today, we have six people that do both brokerage and valuation. And our deals typically range anywhere from 100,000 to 100 million in terms of transactions and/or valuation work. What trends have you guys seen in the out-of-home transactions market during the past year? This past year, in 2019, has been a very strong market. We see a lot of transaction volume. And I get calls just about every week from buyers who want to know what's available for sale. And what's really interesting about the the transaction market this year is that we're not just seeing transactions coming from the big three who are buying independents. We see a lot of the smaller independent owners that are also actively looking to grow their footprint. Some of these independent buyers are out there really trying to break into new markets while others are looking to sell off pieces of their footprint that don't fit and to consolidate and buy in places that would create synergies for their current and existing inventory. Are you seeing new interest on the part of family funds, private equity funds? You know, it's fascinating. I look at who's subscribing to Billboard Insider, and I have seen a steady growth. I think we're up to now at least 70 of our 2,500 daily subscribers are what I would consider part of the financial industry, including a lot of private equity funds, family funds, investors who are starting to say, wow, I better pay attention. Yeah, I probably get a call about once a month from one of those types of interested buyers. Most of the time, they are looking for deals that are much larger than what comes available regularly. They're looking for for entrances into the market of of larger companies in things that are probably over about $10 million. And in that case, it makes it a little bit more difficult for them to get into the market because then they're competing with Lamar or with Outfront and some of the other larger buyers in the marketplace right now. But they're definitely looking and they want to become aware of those opportunities. What can we say about out-of-home values? In terms of multiples, been very strong. That's mostly a reflection of strong advertising rates and occupancy levels. But it's also because there's a general interest in the space. So we've seen very strong valuations and very high values coming out of 2019. 
that's mostly a reflection of the optimism that a lot of entrants have about the industry. Can we say values? It seems like rule of thumb values have historically been 8 to 12 times cash flow. They move around in a range, 8 to 12 times cash flow. Can we say we are in that range? Where are we right now? Yeah, I would say that we're still in that range, and it's probably pushing at the top end of it. It's a very good time to think about selling. It's a very good time to consolidate a footprint or get rid of those things that don't fit in your current footprint right now. But yeah, that's generally the range we're seeing. We've seen some things down in the Southeast that are at the low end of that range. We've seen things in major markets that exceed that range. But generally speaking, that's still kind of the range we're working in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to add a little bit to that, I was recently analyzing some of our transaction data and looking at a lot of the deals that we've been a part of or that we're aware of. And regional factors is just one of the factors that we'll look at when, when determining value. It really depends on the dynamics of the deal. Some of the different factors that we'll look at in addition to the regional factors are the local regulations, market share, the lease security and the lease cost, the quality of structures involved, and the historical occupancy of any given asset. I'm assuming the tighter the local market, the higher values are, the higher the market share, the higher a value might be. What were the other factors? So if the lease is very secure, if it's Hmm. a long-term lease and there's very few options for the landowner to get out of it, and the cost is low, that'll increase the value. If the quality of the structures are standardized Mm -hmm. and they're well taken care of, that'll increase the value. And if there's good historical occupancy and room for growth, then buyers will definitely look positively on those. Okay. Paul, last time I had you on the podcast, you mentioned that taxation issues could depress out-of-home values, especially a Pennsylvania case where billboard lease income, they were trying to make it taken into account when they assess the value of a property owner's land. You know, I just got, for instance, this morning, an email from a out-of-home operator, independent operator in the South saying, what gives, Dave? I just got my assessment back and I got hammered. But what can you say the latest as to how taxation issues, what you're seeing as to how taxation authorities are addressing out-of-home? Right. We're hearing the same things, and it's concerning, but not a troubling situation yet. We've seen a few local jurisdictions change the way they're taxing both structures as personal property and the value of land leases. So those are things, obviously, the industry wants to keep a watch on and stay out ahead of. They case in Pennsylvania that you mentioned has been appealed. And what I'm told is that there's likely to be a trial in the first quarter of next year. So Hmm. we're watching that and we anticipate getting some additional kind of feedback when they make a decision. Good, because that is a worrisome issue. Could you walk us through the steps in the sale of an out-of-home company and also talk about What's important at each step to ensure a smooth and a successful transaction? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. When we get retained by a client who's interested in selling, we'll take them through five steps in order to to reach closing. 
And the first step is the research phase. This might be perhaps one of the most important steps of them all. During this phase, we'll do our own due diligence on the group of assets that is being sold. If we do in very in-depth due diligence from the start, then we'll be prepared for when the buyer is doing their due diligence. Before we ever take the group of assets to the market, we like to have an idea of exactly what buyers might be concerned about when making this purchase so that when those issues do come up, we're prepared to respond to them. That research phase might take anywhere from two weeks to 30 days, but it's something that we take very seriously. After that, we move into what's called the marketing phase. During this phase, we've had, we'll have an offering memorandum prepared and we'll begin reaching out to a qualified buying pool of select buyers might fit the bill and might be interested in this, this particular group of assets. After we've narrowed down that, that buying pool to just a few buyers, we'll begin discussing the terms of the deal and soliciting offers in the form of a letter of intent. This is what we call the negotiation phase, where we'll help the seller get the best terms and the best price for his group of assets. After the negotiation phase is when the buyer will move into the due diligence phase. And we'll be prepared, thanks to the, the research phase that we start at the very beginning, we're prepared to provide whatever information they need to get comfortable with the assets they're buying. If the research at the very beginning of this process is done well, it should minimize the number of issues brought up during the, the buyer's due diligence phase. And after the due diligence phase is when we move into closing. And that process usually will take anywhere from 30 to 60 days. But if everything before that is done well and done professionally, then the closing phase should move relatively quickly. Let's take a break here for a word from our sponsor. By listing your billboards on Adomni's buying platform, agencies and advertisers can easily find and buy your unsold billboard space. Adomni's Audience IQ technology allows advertisers to target consumer profiles that travel past your billboards with audience segments such as demographics, behavior, and consumer interest. Join the fastest-growing out-of-home network with over 100,000 digital screens. Whether you have a Formedco, Watchfire, Dectronics, or Prism View billboard, Adomni is easy to connect. Visit Adomni.com or email sales at Adomni.com to learn more. Mention this Billboard Insider podcast to receive one free year of Adomni's white-labeled booking engine on your website. Carson, it seems like sometimes deals reprice or get retraded after signing of a letter of intent and completion of due diligence, what kind of things might happen that cause a buyer to say, you know, I got to reprice or restructure the deal? You know, does it happen very often? And what types of things might cause a deal to be repriced or retraded? This is something that does happen. I wouldn't say that it happens often, but it happens. And I'd say probably one of the, the largest factors that might contribute to a buyer wanting to reduce the price or have some sort of holdback in this deal post-closing would be something involving the risk of taking on this group of assets. And that usually can be narrowed down to the security of the lease involved. If you know the buyers get into their due diligence phase and they realize that several or one of the leases has some clauses in it that would create a lot of risk, then they might point to those clauses as justification for decreasing the price. 
Another issue that might come up is they'll look at the permits for all of the signs and they'll realize that maybe one or, or a few of the other assets in this group are not permitted correctly, meaning they don't have local permits or they don't have county or necessary state permits, or maybe those permits are expired. There could be a number of issues, but if there's something that's not right with the permitting process, they may point to that as also being a reason for the risk being higher and therefore lowering the price. We have gone now almost 10 and a half years since the last recession. I, I think we could clearly say this this time will not be different. The, we have not entered a new phase where we will never see a recession in the U.S. economy. What is your opinion as to when we may enter a recession? And secondly, how do you think out-of-home will perform in the next recession? That's a really good question, Dave. And I, you're right. We can't ever be sure that we're never going to go through another recession. That's just part of economic cycles. I think that it's one of those things that everyone needs to be thinking about and preparing for. We watch that pretty closely. And I was in a meeting with an economist about two weeks ago who said that this next recession is likely to be very mild. And the basis for his thinking was that we don't have a catalyst like we had in prior recessions. The economy is moving along very strongly. We've got a solid foundation. There are no major bubbles ready to burst. And he didn't think that we would see anything significant, certainly like we had in 08 and 09. But he did think that in the next 18 to 24 months, we're likely to see a decline. That said, I don't think that this next recession is going to be anything significant. And by that, I mean, we're likely not to see revenue declines of more than one or two percent. In fact, that's probably more dire than we'll actually see. I also don't think it'll be very long lasting. I anticipate it being relatively short. In terms of the way the industry performs during the next recession, I think we're going to have a unique position. I think that the industry will fare well during the next recession. And that's mostly because we've got kind of a renewed optimism and we've got new ad dollars moving in from other media types. And I think that's going to buoy the industry and the onset of digital deployment and other means of new revenue we should do much better than the economy as a whole. Okay, let's talk about the large out-of-home companies. I'll name a company and give me your opinion about what they're doing and their prospects. Lamar. Yeah, in thinking about these larger companies, the larger players in the market, we think that Lamar got the best group of assets from Fairway in the recent transactions that uh, have been taking place. They came in early. We don't know what kinds of multiples were paid, but we expect that they may have paid a little more than others to get those. And we think that they were the best of what was available. Lamar has a very good company culture. I listened to your podcast with Sean Riley on their general managers have a very long tenor with Lamar. And I think that's because of the way the company is run. The culture there is a very positive one in which employees want to stay at. 
And I think that because the company culture is so good, it's a reflection in their performance as well. Lamar has performed very well consistently over time. How about out front? We've seen that Outfront has had strong revenue growth recently. In the past year, their revenues have shot up quite a bit. And I think that has something to do with their focus on major markets. There's a lot of movement right now with millennials moving to some of those larger major markets. And that's where Outfront has a very strong presence. Dave, I just would add that I think that Outfront still has some cost cutting to do and that they're getting leaner, but I think they have some opportunities to continue to look at their expense growth and try to create even better margins for their shareholders. I would have to second that. You know, I I look and when Lamar grows revenue, its expenses go up maybe three quarters the rate of its revenue. Right now, when Outfront's growing, and good for it, it's growing, but its expenses are going up almost as fast or faster. And at some point, you really, if you run a tight ship, you ought to be able to capture some scale economies. In other words, your, your expenses should not grow as fast as your revenue grows if you're in the out-of-home business. So you ought to be able to get a little margin improvement. Exactly. Okay, that, makes, that brings us to Clear Channel Outdoor. Yeah, we have been in talks with Clear Channel a few times and noticed that they've been extremely conservative with their spending domestically. And, you know, obviously they have some financial matters to take care of, but we've noticed that they're extremely conservative with their spending right now. Mm -hmm. Link Media Outdoor. We've, as well as I'm sure everybody, has seen a lot of big acquisitions come from Link Media. And I think that they're in the process of digesting some of those large recent acquisitions and that we can definitely anticipate more from them in the future. But I think that because of their quick growth in the last 12 to 18 months, they are, like I said, they're in the process of digesting some of those those acquisitions and they've missed out on a couple of opportunities that I think would have personally been a perfect fit for their footprint. Mm-hmm. They're trying to basically focus on getting things integrated before they can go in. They, they clearly have the capacity, the financial capacity to do more, but maybe management's focused on executing what they've got before they go into their next round of acquisitions. That's sort of my guess. Yeah, that's my take as well. Yeah, yeah. Which brings us to Fairway Adams. I would be interested in what you are thinking, what you've seen they are doing. See, am I right? We have one little cluster of assets still remaining to be traded. I think they are in the southeast. They're still trying to get that remaining cluster traded. But what can you say about Fairway or Adams? You're right. They do have one remaining group down in the southeast. And we anticipate that moving in the next six months. In terms of the mix of assets and and the way they've been managed, we like Adam's markets better than the fairway markets. And so we think that that's a good opportunity for management to turn their attention and focus on the core remaining group that's owned by Adam's. How about J.C. DeCoe? J.C. DeCoe is predominantly transit-oriented here in the United States. They control a number of large airport contracts, and I think that that's probably the direction they're going to be staying in the next coming year. I do know that they are very good global citizens, and they're making a very large push to be Earth-friendly and to make that part of their company culture. 
Mm-hmm. It's interesting. They make a pronouncement at a usually at an investor conference every few years saying, we're willing to contemplate a major acquisition, but it just never quite happens. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a very special occasion for them to really jump into this market. It's going to take something like Clear Channel selling their assets for them to jump in. Are there any other independents that come to mind as being active? It seems like Mac Hake's been doing a few things recently and has staffed up. They just added a, a new manager. But are there any other companies that come to mind as being active? Certainly, we've seen Reagan hmm. yes. make the acquisition of some of the fairway assets. Yes. And we've seen Lindemark making some moves. Mm-hmm. And so... There certainly are other independents who are looking for opportunities to grow and have been pretty aggressive doing that. But no, not too many other large deals like that. Okay. So here we are in the end of 2019. I'd like to ask you to put on your forecasting hat. What are five out-of-home stories we should be watching during 2020? I think one of the stories that everyone should be watching is the deployment of non-traditional digital displays. Those are the kinds of things that are out of the box in terms of their architecture and shape and design, size, location. Those kinds of non-traditional deployments are becoming the cornerstone of many small operators' plants. So they act as a great leverage point to sell advertising to advertisers, and then they can expand and grow from that. So non-traditional digital deployment is certainly one thing we think we'll see in the next year. To go along with that, Paul and Dave, is that I think with those non-traditional digital display development, we're going to see a lot of creative government partnerships where you might have a developer come in and provide infrastructure for a government agency, and in return, that government agency may permit the developer to build digital signage in areas that it would make sense for both hands as a win-win. And I think that, you know, we've seen a little bit of that this year, but I think we're going to see a lot more of that in, in 2020. It's funny. I think of what Catalyst is trying to do, where they'll say, we'll build a new dog park if you let us put a digital sign up. Or if they say, we'll build a new emergency services building for your community if you, put a, if you let us put some digital signs up. Or just even using you know, what Inglewood's doing with WOW Media, where they are generating a huge amount of revenue in signing bonuses and a percentage of revenue from permitting full motion digital boards in the city right away over streets. Yeah, and you've seen Outfront do that in San Diego as well. And there are even a couple of projects that we're working on that we can't talk about yet, but go go right in hand with some of these other ones that will definitely be making the news in a couple of years. So two trends for next year to watch. One is the development of non-traditional digital, and the second is more government partnerships. What other trends do you see for 2020? We also think that programmatic buying systems may start to consolidate in, the, in late next year and into 2021, as you know, there are a lot of programmatic buying systems in place right now. 
and inevitably they'll combine and become larger in terms of the client base they bring and the influence that they can offer to advertisers. So we think that we'll see some consolidation in that space in the next 24 months, and that may start later next year. We also think that we may see some additional ad dollars shifting out of traditional media and into out of home. That's already happening. We think that's a big part of the industry's strong revenue growth right now. And we anticipate that continuing into 2020. Any thoughts from either of you on privacy? Seems like privacy is becoming more of an issue. The California Privacy Act is going to take effect in January. Seems like privacy, consumer reports, Judge, as I'm reading this, they just issued a story on billboards and privacy or an article. What about privacy? Yeah, in terms of privacy, I think that that's an emerging area of concern in all media types, not just out of home. But because out of home is relying on other media types like cellular data and wireless communications and those kinds of things, I think the industry needs to be fully cognizant of what's happening and think about how that relates to what they're doing. You know, you have seen some of the hacking that's gone on and some of those things. So as we develop into more of a technological media, privacy certainly becomes a top of mind concern. That's all for this week. Paul and Carson, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having us, Dave. We appreciate it. Have a happy new year. Thanks, Dave. You're welcome. And thank you to Lucas Jones at lucascreativeco.com for production and editing. This podcast was sponsored by Adomni. Adomni, list your digital billboard on Adomni and increase your revenue. You can listen to episodes of the Billboard Insider podcast by visiting billboardinsider.com or by subscribing to the Billboard Insider podcast on iTunes or any of the usual podcast outlets. Our email is billboardinsider at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'll be back in a couple of weeks.